you for Gary, and I know he's got a lot going on this week, and he's, uh, I just so appreciate his faithful preparation uh, to share God's Word with us. And so, Father, as we come to the end of this series, God with us, and we look at the return of Jesus, I pray that you just empower my brother to preach powerfully to us this morning. Uh, again, make our hearts sensitive to your Word. Use it to transform your people. In Jesus' name, now God's people said... Well, good uh, morning. My name is uh, Gary Heaps, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I'm masking partly because yesterday my wife tested positive for COVID. I'm feeling pretty good, but uh, you never know. Anyway, uh, that is uh, what was going on. Uh, nonetheless, as uh, uh, Aaron said, uh, my task here today is to talk about the return of Jesus, and I'm probably going to talk about it in a way that's a little different. I'm going to start with a verse that you're going to sit there and think, okay, why is he starting there? But why not? Okay, uh, and that is, uh, I call this your uh, refrigerator magnet verse, okay? Uh, for I know, this is Jeremiah 29 11, and the reason why I call it, it seems like on a lot of refrigerator magnets. Okay, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Okay, uh, this verse, as, as I said, it's in a lot of refrigerator magnets. You see it, you see it a lot of places. Person puts it on their Facebook page, put, person puts it on, uh, you know, some sign that they hang up in their home, and of course a lot of people take great comfort and great encouragement uh, from this verse from Jeremiah. Uh, and this morning actually I am going to be speaking from Jeremiah, and I'm going to be speaking about the return of Christ. Now, for those of you who are expecting something different, let me go back to uh, the book of my childhood. This is The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with this book, uh, this book was the number one best-selling book in the United States in the 1970s, okay? Um, and it was about the end of the world. It was about Jesus was going to return, and this is how the world was going to end. And it was, uh, in the 1970s, there was a lot of this going on. Uh, there was a lot of, of stuff, and uh, my wife, you know, Kim, all right, there was a movie that got put out by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and the, book, the movie was entitled, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And in the plot of the movie, the rapture had happened, and all the Christians had been taken from the face of the earth. And then there was this group of people who had been left behind, okay, which, whatnot. Um, they became Christians uh, while, you know, by reading the Bible and listening to things, et cetera, they become Christians. And then at the end of the movie, um, there's this scene where they are arrested by the forces of the government and the Antichrist, and they are taken, the, the last scene in the movie is this scene where they are being taken to a guillotine. Okay, and there's a guillotine and then there's this basket to, to, to take the head. And they showed this movie to us in my childhood. I, I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, but Kim was like five. And she said it terrified her because anytime she'd ever come home after that and nobody was there, she figured the rapture had happened and now she was gonna die. Um, and I mean, this was what was going on. So, uh, I'll tell you the other one. There was some movie that came out in the 1970s and it was about the Antichrist, okay? It's like a Hollywood movie. And they showed it at my church. And I remember it was, 
it was a Hollywood movie. And I mean, there was a sex scene in this movie and it was happening in church. Anyway, I guess because it was the Antichrist, we were accepted, it was acceptable to show this. I don't know. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there was a lot of stuff in this book. This book uh, had a lot. Of, um, you don't really see it much as much anymore just because a lot of the things that he said were going to happen haven't exactly happened. Um, um, he, the Soviets were going to invade, the Middle East was a big part of this book, and then there was going to be a united common market, which has been there, but et cetera. Uh, but there's been a lot of stuff that was done, and it was sort of not always the best, and people would talk about the return of Jesus, but they wouldn't necessarily talk about it, um, et cetera, from all the Bible. And this morning what I thought I would do is I thought I would talk about the return of Jesus and the return based upon some of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, the late great planet Earth really focused heavily on Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the book of Daniel. I'm not going to talk about any of those passages here today, okay? I'd like to talk instead about Jeremiah 30 and 31, and this will tie it to Jeremiah 29, 11, okay? I'd like to talk about um, the prophecies that are in the book of Jeremiah in 30 and 31. Um, and if you wanted to follow along, and let me quickly look this up as to which page this are. I am not going to, I am not going to talk about all of Jeremiah 30 and 31 just because uh, the passages are a little longer than I would like to, but this is in uh, page 657 is where this starts on the Pew Bible uh, in front of you. Uh, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about these, and I'd like to point out something here. This is uh, a picture of Jeremiah. Uh, this is Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel, okay? This is, is his picture of Jeremiah. Uh, for those of you, and let me just give a brief overview of Jeremiah's work. Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament kingdom of Judah, and he is prophesying to the people of Judah, and he's telling them that their idolatry and their sin is enough. He, the Lord has had enough, and what the Lord is going to do is the Lord is going to bring judgment. And Jeremiah is a tough book to read. It's tough uh, for us to read today because there's a lot of judgment in Jeremiah, and there is this idea that what is going to happen is the people of Babylon are going to come, they are going to conquer the nation of Judah, and they are going to cart you off into exile for your sin of this continual and constant idolatry. And that's pretty much the message of Jeremiah, uh, and there's a big part of it. But Jeremiah does not end there, okay? And so it's important to understand that Jeremiah does not end. And he has a number of prophecies. And this week as I was preparing, I was reading uh, Christopher Wright's uh, commentary on Jeremiah, and he pointed out that the prophecies in Jeremiah seem to have three sort of time horizons, all right? There's three sort of time horizons. I'm going to go through the first two rather quickly, and then I'm going to focus on the third one. The first time horizon, okay, that these prophecies seem to have is sort of the immediate and near term. Jeremiah prophesies that the nation of Judah is going to be conquered. And then he makes uh, another set of prophecies, and I'll give you one example, and this is again is in Jeremiah 30. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. 
Um, I point out also in Jeremiah 25, there is a prophecy that the, the captivity in the judgment in Babylon will last for 70 years. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see that Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah and he reads that it was going to last for 70 years. And he begins to pray that the Lord would release the people from the captivity so that they can return to Judah and be the people of God again. And Jeremiah prophesies, yes, that's going to happen. And so for the people who were hearing Jeremiah and were reading the scroll in the immediate aftermath of uh, Jeremiah's life, these prophecies were fulfilled in the short term, okay, so, or in the immediate near term. And so that's the first time horizon. The second time horizon, okay, deals with the life and ministry of Jesus. And there's a couple of prophecies in Jeremiah 30 and 31 which uh, are trotted out oftentimes here at Christmas. I'm going to give you one of them. Um, this is a very famous one. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children, for she refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, for those of you who are familiar, we've got over here on the wall the story of the wise men. We oftentimes, of course, uh, at, at Christmas time, you have the nativity scenes and you have the three wise men. Um, what we oftentimes don't talk about, of course, is that when the wise men came, uh, they went to Herod and inquired about where is this one born king of the Jews. Herod didn't like that inquiry too much. He felt that this could be a threat to him. And so he sent his soldiers south to Bethlehem and had every child who was two years of age and younger, or at least every male child two years of age and younger, slaughtered. And Matthew uh, says that this was this prophecy here in Jeremiah 31 was fulfilled at that moment in time that this is a voice heard in Ramah lamentation and great weeping that this attack by Herod of these children was uh, in killing of them was fulfilled in this particular thing so Jeremiah is talking about the immediate future he's talking about the life of Christ I'll give you a, another uh, passage from Jeremiah 31 and this deals also with the life of Christ and the ministry of his his first incarnation behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, Jesus' ministry was going to do something different. Uh, previously, there had been this idea that the law was external. I tell you what to do, and you're supposed to do it, or I tell you what not to do, and you're not supposed to do it. But instead, a time was coming when the Lord was going to write the, his law in their hearts. And uh, the Christians have always believed that this is fulfilled in the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit enters our hearts. And because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we now have the law of God, and we can follow God because we have the Spirit in his heart with us right now. And so there are prophecies in Jeremiah 30 and 31 which are fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus and in his incarnation and in, in what we read about in scripture. But then there's this third time horizon, okay? And again, Wright talks about this. He talks about a far distant future. There seems to be prophecies here which have not as yet been fulfilled and they seem to be awaiting some 
future fulfillment. And I'll, I'll mention a few of them here, okay? Here in Jeremiah 31, we see this, and this is 31. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And as I was reading this week, and as Wright pointed out, when have we ever come to a time when we no longer need people to teach how to know the Lord? In other words, the, the prophet makes a declaration. A time is coming when they will no longer need to teach somebody how to know the Lord because they shall all know the Lord. Well, when have we ever gotten to that point in time? When has that ever happened? And so Wright suggests that this is, this is this third time horizon. This has as yet to be fulfilled. And yet, there is this promise. There is this promise that a time will come when there will no longer need to be any teaching about the Lord because all shall know the Lord. And that time is as yet to come. Um, here's another prophecy, okay, in Jeremiah 31. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hanal to the corner gate. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Okay? So if any of you are familiar at all with the history, uh, the people of, of Israel, the Jews, are in captive in Babylon. They are then released. Okay, so uh, during the Persian Empire, they are allowed to leave Babylon. They are allowed to immigrate back to the Holy Land. They rebuild Jerusalem. That part happens. However, okay, this very last thing, it shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. If you follow your history, you know that has not happened at all, okay? In other words, in 70 AD, Jerusalem is destroyed. It's destroyed again a little later on. Uh, it is now, once again, a place of conflict as of the present day, okay? So in other words, we have not gotten to a point where it is established and it shall never be overthrown again. And so what we have here in Jeremiah 31 is a situation where you seem to have some of these passages which look to a far distant future and a, a far uh, greater horizon. Now, here's the question, all right? Are there other prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about this third time horizon? And I'm gonna suggest, in fact, there are. There are several prophecies in a variety of the different, of the prophets that speak of this third sort of time horizon, this time, this distant time way out there when God will do something. Let me give you a few of them, okay? Here's Isaiah 2.4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Um, for any of those of you familiar with it, if you go to New York City and you go to the United Nations, uh, this verse, uh, they, they tried to sort of portray this verse artistically in a uh, thing, which I'm going to get to, I'm going to come back to this idea, but this idea of they shall there shall be no more war. A time is coming when they shall beat their swords into plowshares. In other words, they are going to turn all this effort that is put into weaponry and into the military, and it's going to go away, and there is going to be peace on the earth. 
Okay, so this is Isaiah 2, 4. It speaks of this time horizon. This says again, there's no evidence that this has happened just yet. All right, here is Isaiah 19, 23. In that day, there shall be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Once again, this is, a, you know, sort of a, and again, I don't know how literal exactly to take this, but the larger point was Egypt and Assyria, they hated each other, okay? Uh, in the time of Isaiah, Egypt and Assyria hated each other, and the prophecy is that at some point in time, they will actually unite. There'll be a highway between them. Uh, they'll be okay. And then, it's really sort of interesting, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And we're not talking about, oh, they'll worship at some temple of some god. No, we're talking about they will worship the true God, the God of Israel, who is the only God. And that, you know, again, if you look at a map and you look at things, that has not necessarily ever happened. Um, there are some other prophecies here, okay? Uh, this one is from the book of Amos. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteous. I mean, when has that been um, ever fulfilled that overseers are peaceful and taskmasters righteous? Anyway going on. Uh, violence shall no more, I'm sorry, this is from Isaiah. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You, you, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. In other words, there's this time of peace, this time of prosperity, this time when bosses will all be, you know, righteous people, okay, and everything will be wonderful in terms of employment and, and these sorts of things. This is a prophecy of the future. Um, okay, this is, I think, the one from Amos. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild that, the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, uh, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. You begin to get some idea here. The prophets, while they do prophesy judgment for sin, at the end of most of these prophets and at the end of most of these prophecies, there is a promise. The Lord is going to do something. Okay, And while it is true that there is a time of judgment coming, there is also this time in the future when the judgment shall be overthrown. I'll finish with one last verse here. This is from Habakkuk, okay? which is again one of the smaller minor prophets. But it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So there are all these prophecies in the Old Testament, and there are all these prophecies that the Old Testament prophets write about as they're writing about judgment. So there's sort of this double-edged sword. On the one hand, there is God's judgment. God does not appreciate all the idolatry. God will not tolerate that continuing on forever. But, but, 
At the same time that God will not tolerate that going on forever, God is going to establish his kingdom and God is going to establish his rule. Now, let me just point something out here. I can sum this up, okay, about the return of the Lord. We've been talking about, uh, during Advent, we've been talking about Jesus, we've been talking about his incarnation, the fact that he comes, the fact that he is with us, etc. The fact is that he is coming again. Okay, he has come once and he has gone away for a period of time, but he is coming again. And when he comes, okay, I think there can be three things that can be said. The first <clears throat> is that there will be some international peace and reconciliation. These verses all speak of a time when war shall be no more, when the peoples of the earth will get along, okay? If they have a dispute, they will take it to the Lord and it will be resolved rightly and justly. There will no longer be oppression, there will no longer be uh, a cause for there to be war. In other words, a time is coming when there will be international peace and reconciliation. The second thing that this, oops, okay, I uh, think, but the second thing that this does talk about is it talks about abundance and security. Okay? In other words, a time is coming when our work will be rewarded. All right. We all know, of course, in our, in our present world and in our workaday world, you know, you can work really hard on something and at the end you get nothing out of it. Okay? Uh, if you think about agriculture, you can plant a field, but then locusts could come along or uh, things could eat the field. Um, I keep bees. There are certain diseases and pests which can destroy your hive very quickly, okay? So you can work and it doesn't pay off, all right? But that's not the world that's to come. The world that is to come is a world in which you can will plant your fields and they will produce. Okay? It is a world where your work will be rewarded. In our world today, our work is not always rewarded. Okay? Our work does not always produce. We work very hard and sometimes you get nothing out of it. Well, that's the curse of sin and that's the curse of the world that we are in. But in the world to come, according to the prophets, that is not the case. And then there's this final thing. Okay? Uh, and I'll just point this out, that a world is coming when Jesus returns where there is a full knowledge and worship of the true God. In other words, there is no need to teach anybody about God because all will know him fully, okay? There is no need, uh, his glory, the knowledge of the Lord will cover, as the waters cover the seas, there will be a full knowledge of God in our world. Our world will be full of the knowledge of him. And this will be the case. Now, let me just point something out about these three things. Um, as I was thinking about them, I, I noticed our world, we tend to want one or two of them, but not all three. Okay? Uh, there are many people, and this is where I think that, that sculpture in front of the United Nations is kind of interesting. It is a sculpture of a, a person beating their, their sword into a plowshare. Uh, they want international peace and reconciliation, abundance and security. What they didn't want was a full knowledge and worship of the true God, okay? And it doesn't work. You have to have all three. It's not like you can have abundance, peace, and security and not the knowledge of the Lord. And it's not like you can have the knowledge of the Lord and not eventually be working toward abundance, peace, and security. Uh, there's a lesson here for both the political right and left. Okay? 
All three are important. And when Jesus returns, all three will be in place. And all three will be put there. Now, let me return to the verse I started with. Okay? Yeah. Somehow I got those slides messed up. All right. Let me return to the verse I, I started with. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, a lot of times I think we tend to really personalize this. And again, I, you know, you read it and you, you see the verse and you personalize it. You say, for I know the plans I have for you, uh, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I think a lot of people, you know, they take comfort in this, and I'm not, not wanting to rob anybody of comfort, but in context, okay, think about what comes next. Jeremiah 30 and 31 comes next. And what is coming there? Well, there is, you know, as Jeremiah is talking, he is promising them that a judgment is coming. Okay, and the judgment's not going to be pleasant. For the people who were living in Judah at the time, what that meant was that they were going to be taken as captives to a land that was not their own, and they were going to have to spend the, for 70 years, they were going to be in exile, and it'd be their children and grandchildren that would come back. But the Lord had a plan. And in that plan, he was going to send his son to live on this earth. And when his son lived on this earth, he was going to save his people. And then the son was going to go away and the son was going to return. And when the son returns, the son is going to bring with him peace. He is going to bring with him security. And he is going to bring with him the worship of the true God. And that is the world to which he has a plan. That is the plan that is discussed here. That is the plan for the future and the hope that he has for us. So, on the one hand, if you take this personally, okay, that's good, all right. But keep in mind there's a much larger context. This is about the Lord's plan for all the earth and for all people. And Jesus is returning to the earth someday. And when he comes, there will be abundance, there will be peace and security, and there will be the worship of the true God. Uh, would you pray with me now? Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are involved in bringing about the true uh, worship of the Lord on this earth. We thank you that we are able to come and worship you and acknowledge that what we do here uh, begins uh, is a bit of a foretaste or a bit of foreshadowing of what will happen in all the earth when your son returns. We look forward to that day and we ask, come Lord Jesus, come. And we praise you and thank you, Father, for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, amen.